Herbert is being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught! Touchdown! Keenan Allen! What a grab! That's what I'm talking about! Hey, that's what I'm talking about! That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy! Huge sack by Joey Bosa! 90-yard touchdown! 90-yard touchdown! It's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Guyton! Caught! Touchdown, Chargers! That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. of the TDU podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. A little bit of a different intro today. Obviously, it's not our wonderful friend Andy on the mic. It's me. It's Jack. Uh, because breaking news, breaking news, the third member of our party of our of our podcast has finally become a betrothed man uh literally only minutes ago alistair i believe in the middle of a vineyard he dropped the knee and he is going to he is engaged i should say now to his wonderful partner cash wonderful wonderful news isn't it fantastic uh his torn meniscus of many years held up while he had bent and dropped his (laughs) knee didn't spend long down there he said it was a bit nervous but we're so thrilled for him and his beautiful partner cash now fiance and it's just fantastic to have some really good news to celebrate. Indeed, indeed. And obviously, we are fresh off your Bucks show as well on the weekend. How are oh you? Goodness. How's your head feeling after the uh, after the sort of the five six a.m. finish there? <laughs> what like what a remarkable day! I um, could not have asked for a better way to celebrate. You know, arriving at manhood and the way you organised it with all the other groomsmen. You did such a fantastic job of incorporating family and friends and brother-in-laws to be geez there's some embarrassing moments <laughs> along the way as well um but you know it we it was a special day for all of us and it was really special that our a friend who'd mm. suffered the, the tragedy last week came for a little bit and on that topic to the to the listeners who reached out to us we we really thank you warmly from the bottom of our hearts it just meant so much um we're really trying to grow a community of listeners here um, so for you guys to feel like reaching out to us, we appreciated it. We also passed it on to our friend and we he did, yeah. he was blown away that there are people listening all around the world who um, yeah, who contributed like that. It's, it was fantastic. Speaking of listeners, we can see in the data that uh, we've got some new ones. We've got more new listeners each week. And without Andy here, it would be a bit remiss not to say that if you're a first time listener, exactly. welcome aboard. Hit the like button, subscribe, and for um, our audio listeners, if you're not watching on YouTube, leave us a rating, write us a review on whatever platform you're listening to. It all really helps us. So welcome along for the ride to the new ones and to our old ones. We'll try to bring more of the same, even though we don't have our dear leader this week. Indeed. Well said, Alistair. Well said. That's right. For those of you who are listening for the first time, this might be a bit bit of a different show, uh, but for those of you who know us well, we'll sort of try and get through the normal stuff. We're sort of going to be looking at the um, the recap of the 49ers game, which unfortunately uh, the Chargers couldn't come with a or out with a win. Uh, we got a little bit of a segment in the middle, some give me the damn numbers. Um, listeners who are used to listening to us will know what that is. Um, for those newbies, I will explain that to you. And then we're going to jump into a quick uh, week 10 or week 11 Chiefs preview. So Without further ado, I will do my best to be the Andy Prophet of the game recap. Remember, I'm an English teacher, so there's a little bit of creative license here, but here we go. 
It was a battle of depleted, bloodied, and limping charges versus the talk of the town dynamic McShanabo-led 49ers on Sunday night from Santa Clara, California. The Niners returned from the mid-season break as healthy as they'd been all season on offense with the hopes of making a Super Bowl run in their second half of their matchups. It was a brutal game for the Chargers, who not only uh, lost one more defensive lineman, lineman to a season-ending injury, but two. Our thoughts and hopes to both Christian Covington and Otito Obonia, who suffered severe injuries to their pectoralis major and patella tendon respectively. Even though Andy's not here, I can still uh, bring out the medical knowledge. The Chargers also lost Gerald Everett to a groin early, shifting the game out of control of Staley and into the tidal wave that was the 49ers, punishing pressure and incessant run game. More ocean metaphors to come. Justin Herbert and Smoking Joe answered cr the critics early with an absolute dart of a 33-yard ball to Carter for an early touchdown on a deep route. Hufunga and the 49ers secondary completely baffled in their coverage assignments. Things are feeling good from a Chargers perspective. You know, a deep ball touchdown finally in the in the first part of the game. Um, you know, and we played the first half pretty well. But the Niners' defense did rally and begin to lay the smack down with their vaunted defense beginning to create headaches and sore bodies on the Chargers' sideline. Drops at critical moments from McKitty, mistakes on simple executions. The Chargers really should have gone up 17-3 after that blocked punt, but alas, we, were, we did not. If we're expecting a Cinderella game from the Bolts, we had the glass slipper on very early, but quickly turned into a pumpkin right in the middle of our second dance with Prince Shanahan. It really was a one-sided war of attrition. The Niners shut down the Chargers' run game, even when Dre, Dre Greenlaw was ejected on a helmet-to-helmet -helmet hit on our beloved quarterback. The Chargers' offense laid an egg in the second half, the Niners celebrating a two-quarter shutout. Justin Herbert finished 21-35 with a touchdown without two starting tackles and two starting receivers. Jimmy G went 19-28, for 28, but it was the aforementioned ground game that won them the day grinding the Valiant Chargers defense down to make their bread, going 100 for 157 yards on 41 attempts. Mitchell, McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, and a mistakeless Jimmy G were just too much for those bolts who were still physically able on the field to play. For me, it was just like sitting on a beautifully planned Lombardi beach, watching the tide come in on a gentle summer fikin-like breeze, lying in the beautiful deep ball sun, sipping a Herbert-made Mai Tai, but slowly the clouds turned gray and cloudy by a Bosa-driven storm. Shanahan created waves, punishing you repeatedly whilst your feet stuck in the web-like 49ers secondary sand, unhappily gulping down the run after punishing run salt water. Shit. For Brandon Staley, the soup de jour was clearly the injury list the Chargers ended the game with. And here it is. Wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver good. five, left tackle one, right tackle one, RB two, tight end one, tight end two, DT two, DT three, DT four, kicker one, kicker two, DE one, DE three, CB one. Have I missed any? Probably. But in my mind, the image comes in the Monty Python when they arrive in the Holy Grail when they arrive at the Black Knight. I'll bite your legs off. I'll keep going. Anyway, almost there. That being said, I did think the team fought and battled hard, as I can remember seeing um, from a depleted Chargers team. The Niners did have to work pretty hard to get control of the game, and even then, you know, Herbert and the offense had a chance to win or at least tie late in the game. I did come away feeling pretty positive from the viewing experience, um, as I saw, you know, fight and a dog eat next man up mentality. I think mixing metaphors seems only right for the situation we're in. 
I truly believe that Staley has created a culture in that locker room that we should actually be proud of. You know, the team still has a winning record at five and four. We're slowly getting healthier. We'll get through this. The playoffs seem a little distant, but we could get there based on everything else um, that's happening in the division. Alistair, biggest takeaway for you as we get into some closer, less metaphoric and long-winded mm. analysis. Tell me what. Well, to, con- to continue the Monty Python metaphor, it's only a flesh wound, right? It's <laughs> oh, a God. But the people are continuing to fight and uh, to maybe channel your English literature side, just thinking now it's a bit, a bit of Charlie Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. But we've oh, got word, a, a tale of two halves and a tale of two sides of the ball, dare I say it. That's really kind of what stood out to me. Early on in the game, you saw some of the better elements of Lombardi scheming. And even though we have depleted resources, there were a couple of nice bits of schematics to get Josh Palmer open. There was a natural rub that allowed him to run a kind of wheel down the sideline. There was also a drag route he ran where Bandy was sent deep to clear out two wide receivers, uh, two cornerbacks, hit him for, for two deep gainers. That's the good stuff. Um, but the injuries were just critical, right? And then you could just see by the second half, uh, the offense kind of got stuck. I thought Everett coming out of the game was a real problem. Mm. I mean, that was almost that critical mass. We've hit critical mass, but you don't have Keenan or Mike. You don't have Everett too. Now you're suddenly throwing to basically a bunch of practice squad guys. And as you said at the start, backup tackles at both spots. That was the offense. For the defense, I thought, Staley said this himself this week, it was one of the better, most creative uh, defensive performances since Staley took over last year. Uh, Rewatching the coaches' film, I was showing you, Jack, and I know you were pointing it out. We ran some new stuff, haven't seen yet all year. First snap of the game, JT Woods is lined up at safety. Derwin James lined up at strong side backer. Never seen that all year. It's Maybe great. it's just a wrinkle to throw it at Shanahan. Next minute, we've got six-man defensive fronts. Tito Abonio and Covington both playing the one technique, so shading the center. Sebastian Joseph Day playing the five technique, so lined up to the outside shoulder of the right tackle. He shoots the gap and forces the tackle for loss while you've got kind of Derwin on the, uh, on the edge and mm. Murray on the other edge. Yeah, That's really creative deployment of your resources. Um, and I think it was particularly suited to that run game, right? Because that's that's what you do against a team that runs the ball. You can afford to have six defensive linemen. Stack the box or stack the line. Stack yeah. the box. But it was great to see. So like you said, such a shame uh, that we couldn't get away with a win, even though there were a lot of positives to take from it. Um, what about another kind of... Uh, yeah, you go, mate. Yeah, I mean, it just felt that you touched on it. The Everett injury was so important, I think. That was very much a turning point in the game. And I concur. I think Lombardi and Staley both had a really good game plan going into it. And mm. the, the defense were able to continue until they got absolutely gassed in the end. They finally you know, had to raise the white flag. But I did notice a lot that... There was a lot of chipping of Bosa going on yep. from, from Everett. And the difference between Gerald Everett chipping and getting out into the flat or getting out as an option f- to someone like Trey McKitty is huge. You know, with Everett, you've got a little more size, you've got a little more experience who can get that body on and then become a target. I felt watching McKitty on the second watch on the All-22, he either blocked okay or was pretty poor in the in the, in the the route running. And he dropped that crucial, crucial catch. The um, game looks different if he catches that too. That might it be does. a margin in the game there that maybe you win from that point. 
It does. It's it's. But I mean, you know, the. But I did feel like Lombardi came out. You know, Justin Herbert per PFF had four big time throws in the game, which means he is happy enough or there are there are options downfield or he's getting enough time which we didn't think he was going to given that the pass rush from the 49ers how about that throw to carter oh, <laughs> oh moving one way oh, through and that boy. way it might have been his best half of the year the first half i agree but the second half you know we went at 2.7 yards per play at absolute ran and just ran into a stone wall so in that sense it's it's pretty disappointing um from, from an offensive perspective but you touched on it. I thought the defense played hard all freaking day. They did not stop. Debo and Kittle, what did they have? They had three catches between them for 45 yards. So we stopped their any explosives through the air. The secondary, in general, did a good job stopping their, their weapons. And even McCaffrey didn't have a tangible impact on the game, really. I thought we bottled him up, up well. So defense I did thought- a good job. Oh, I thought it I, exactly, and you know what? Um, you know what was fantastic is that we didn't get busted for a giant run out outside. We kept them well between. Said. We kept them between the numbers. It just so happens that every time they necessarily ran, they got seven yards, eight yards, five yards, six yards. Especially the just, second half. Yeah, it it felt like we were sort of fighting a losing battle or a tidal wave, as I alluded to earlier. Um, but but that was good. I definitely saw Carl Van Noy set the edge and make it yep. his job to set the edge properly. Um, Best game Mac, I thought. I agree, and and Mac wasn't graded particularly well per PFF, but I thought he was still fairly serviceable. So that was good. But when you lose Covington, when you lose Obonia, um, you know you are going to get gashed up the middle. Like what else can you do? In saying that, I did think Kenneth Murray played half decently. Some of your footage um, showed that you know against Trent Williams, and a little bit of a little bit of a stat to I want to I've got a sort of pick with PFF is that PFF said that. Trent Williams did not lose a pass blocking or run blocking snap. And I'm pretty sure that that video that you showed was Kenneth Murray engaging Trent Williams in the run, wiping him off and making a tackle. So I don't know, PFF, maybe have a relook at what, at, at what you've said there. But um, Tranquil also played a great game. Another stat I found interesting is they said we missed um, 17 tackles on defense in this game, which is the most tackles we've missed in a game this year. Watching just the rewatch, it, that didn't come out to me. I'm not saying that there weren't missed tackles, and I guess maybe a lot of those were happening in the second half where suddenly they're breaking through for seven, eight, and nine. But it wasn't a game where there was like obviously missed one-on-one tackle opportunities on the outside. Maybe it was some of the messy stuff in the middle. I thought the defense, for the most part, were wrapping up quite well from what I was watching. Oh, I, for, for a team, I can't remember watching. That Niners team hits hard on both sides of the ball. Ooh, De- yeah. defensively their line was just every time Michelle Eckler Spiller someone met that met their defensive line even though they were engaged with our offensive lineman boy it was like whack there was a it yeah. was a percussive impact and on on the flip side you know you're looking at McCaffrey hit one hit two hit three and then reach forward for another four or five yards incredible team I, I really like that team I must admit it's hard for me to um, to not like the 49ers but I have a feeling if they stay healthy they're going to be a they're going to be a nuisance in the playoffs I would almost put them as my prediction to exit the NFC and make the Super Bowl at this point I know that sounds Whoa, ridiculous because of their record call. right yeah but if you ask me who's the better team the Niners or the Eagles if you give this team longer to gel together with McCaffrey in it for another seven or eight weeks, 
I feel like they're every bit as dangerous as the Eagles. They have stars on both sides of the ball. They're well coached. Um, they can put up points. They can play defense. They can rush the passer. I mean, we did a great job keeping up with them and almost stealing this game, I thought. Uh, I want to unpack Jack the offense a bit more because I was thinking about what it is that's so frustrating about this offense. And I think it's a couple of things, but primarily... We are a station-to-station offense under Joe Lombardi, particularly the last seven weeks. And for Chargers fans, we're not used to that. We weren't used to that with Rivers. We're not the Washington Commanders. We're not the New York Jets. We're not used to being a team that cannot move the football and goes quarters at a time putting up three points. That's just not what we are. We've been used to having rivers and like we've never really found moving the ball at the intermediate level difficult. There's always been Keenan or Tyrell Williams or Mike Williams, insert name here. Usually it's the defense that's let us down. So I think part of the aggro from fans is now looking at this team that cannot run the ball to save themselves. And that continues to be a problem. Every time we try it, we get two yards. Mm. or one yard, Lindsley or Zion, they're missing their assignment. Or uh, one thing I noticed is also the formation seems so tight. Yes, I don't get it. Like the five linemen are really tied in together. It's almost like they're not utilizing spacing. And then it's just bang, you're hitting that wall. So it's very frustrating. And allayed to point one is when you're watching on a rewatch on Coach's Film, you watch the snap and you hit enter for pause, played a bit more, pause. Within two seconds of the snap, you look at all four receivers and no one is open. No one has separation. And you're looking at Herbert going, okay, everyone is covered. Mm. And he's either dumping it off to the open check check route or he's just trying to buy a bit more time to kind of force some crazy difficult throw to someone's advantageous side. They might not be open, but like with Carter, he's going to just give it a crack anyway. That's not. Do you agree that that's not good offense, offensive coaching if that's happening? I agree, and and if I looked at you know Herbert spent over a third of his dropbacks under pressure, and and even with a clean pocket on the coach's film, that there's there's not much there. Even though we know Lombardi is scheming little stick routes and, and open, we just can't find separation. So mm. I I found it frustrating because I did think Herbert did have enough time at points, and so the offensive line is doing their job. I don't know why we have such a tight, you, you, you touched on it really well, a tight you know, offensive line when we're trying to run the ball when you've got a scat back like Austin Eckler who loves to be out in space and cutting back. And the, probably the, the most, I can't, was it in the first or second quarter, Eckler had sort of an eight to nine yard run, I thought, where he actually cut yeah. back. He cut yeah, back awesome. inside. You know, it I don't like know an why inside zone, and he's just taken it outside and done his own thing with it. Picked up. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure why we're so set on running the ball behind, you know, the right guard or the left guard in between the centre. Who knows? But this is my teachable moment, and this is another little bit of a diatribe, listeners. So just just beware. But Herbert is now returning back to form. But Herbert is as Herbert does, and and the man we can see even in the prime time can make some incredible throws with touch, power, precision. You know, all with all this pressure on him, no receivers to speak of, an offensive line that's completely atrocious, atrocious. Well, not atrocious, but borderline. 
For, so for those in the media who are shunning him, for those fans like, oh, you know, is Herbert actually that good? Taking him down and thinking that he's regressed, just go and watch Josh Allen and some of the INTs that he's throwing and trying to force. In my mind, I don't think Herbert is, and many of his INTs are actually his fault. Their receivers bobbling it up or they're being hit at the line. So those media pundits who say like, this is the Herbert we knew at Oregon. This is, we've always known he's going to be like this. Just give it a rest. Like you're, you're, you're a, it's, I think it's ridiculous, you know. He's, oh, his throwing action is lower than normal, blah, blah, well, blah. The Neanderthals, they're absolute the, troglodytes. The guy's actually played through fractured rib ribs for seven weeks. And if he sat on the sideline and didn't play, there'd be none of this commentary. I just, said he's trying to play through it. Of course, he's not going to be 100%. And, and this is what I say to the, especially those in the media who get up in front of a national audience and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put you on live TV in the jocks or in the nude. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the microphone off of your hand. I'm going to take out your earpiece. I'm going to give you an extra hot cup of coffee and make you drink it so you burn your tongue, which means you can't speak clearly, interrupt you consistently, throw tomatoes at your face, and then see how well you do when you're trying to do your job. Because that's exactly the situation that Herbert finds himself in, given his injury and injuries. That's my teachable moment. I'm saying go to detention, those people. Piss off. Perfect analogy. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me throw a question to you, because I know this, these are kind of matters dear to your heart. Um, the Dre Greenlaw rejection. Mm. What did you think? On first watch given at the time i hadn't seen the juju smith schuster hit and i didn't see how that was handled on first watch i thought it was i didn't you know me alistair i'm a very passionate man i can sometimes mm. get up and say you deserved it you deserve to get off i did think it was an action that needs to be outlawed from this game i yeah, know I that he was leading with his helmet but uh, sorry with his shoulder or at least attempting to but what's right next to your shoulder is your helmet. And the first thing that'll hit is either a shoulder pad or a helmet. And if the NFL are serious about getting rid of concussions, these are the kind of acts, and I'm not saying that Greenlaw was dirty, but these are the kind of acts that you need to get out of the game because it's going to happen over and over. I don't know what the answer is, whether you go for the tackle. Um, and of course, it looked a lot worse because Herbert has been tackled around his legs and he's falling forward. But it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter if he meant it or not, if he was trying to play safe. He was doing an action that he was trained for and that the NFL accepts at the moment. So I think we need to take a step back, whether to say the ejection was warranted or not, or the handling of how it's been since the tour suspensions are warranted or not. That, that's another matter. But th that action, which is leading a, like a missile with a head or your shoulder, that's what's going to cause concussions, I think. And that's the action that needs to probably be removed from the game. Yeah, it's, it's got to go. Next year, perhaps, is when there should be a clear communication from the NFL that this will not be permitted and it won't be a 15-yard penalty. It will be you're ejected from the football game. Okay. And, and I think the counterpoint which we discussed, Jack, was uh, as to that specific incident, what you want is replicated, consistent decision-making and based on other actions that don't result in an ejection, this one probably lacked the necessary dirtiness or intent to warrant ejection but it certainly warranted a flag it's certainly helmet to helmet contact he had an alternative he did not need to lead in that way he wanted to hit him even though herbert was on his way down so i don't really have an issue with that being an ejectable offense i just would like it to be clearly communicated 
maybe next season yes. rather than a change of the rules in the middle of the year. I mean, realistically, in our game for the US listeners, is that we have a real problem with sling tackles here as well because the player who's, as a, as a defender, you want to try and either get the defender or, sorry, the opposition player to drop the ball or to tie them up so tightly that they get caught holding the ball, which is a free kick for you, which is sort of, you know, like that's that's a win for you. But what we tend to do is that players will try and sling with their arms pinned and therefore their head just uh, goes straight into the ground, knocking them unconscious. Mm. There's an, there's a line of argument to say that Nazir, was it Nazir Adderley tackling or ASJ tackling, it was at Ayuk to get the fumble? Yeah, you know, ASJ that, and then Derwin got him. And Derwin came in. I mean, that in itself is a very, very dangerous action as well because if Ayuk is slung just slightly lower, Derwin comes in with his full force straight at his head. And Kenny Murray did the same thing too, Jack, when yeah. he tried to dislodge the ball. It's a uh, pivot, hard one. Pivot on that combo, Jack, because the same kind of other side of the, the coin is what we're seeing is a lot more precautions taking with players who potentially show concussive-like symptoms or to make yes. sure that they don't. Were you happy with Murray and Herbert both being taken out of the game for proper evaluation? Because let's be honest, Herbert coming out of the game at that time just before half time that might have cost seven points. You don't know. Chase Daniel came in and fluffed it for three snaps. And Herbert was like, I'm fine. I didn't feel anything. Why are you taking me out of the game? What do you think about that? Any person in their right mind, I believe, and I might get heat for this, should realize no matter what, who you support or um, what's going on in the game, these players' health should be above anything else. I mean, especially as Chargers fans, knowing what happened with Junior Seau and the the damage that CTE and, the, and this and this can occur. Listen, we miss out on seven points. Okay, great. Mm. But at least mm. Justin Herbert might be around to see his grandkids or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's an extreme case. I get that. But anyone in their right mind needs to go, nah, he's been hit. Bad luck. Um, yes, it would be amazing if he's out there. But health above everything else. I think that's a, that, that's a really sort of important point that I want to make anyway. Um, Good call, Jack. Pivoting back to... A little bit of Lombardi, actually, Alistair. Um, so we sort of gone deep dive on the concussion. Looking at the PFF, our highest blocking grade, run blocking grade, was Gerald Everett. And that was at 60. So my question to you is, is it a scheme issue that our running game is so poor or is it a player talent issue? Or what hope do we have against like a defense with Warner, Greenlaw, Bosa, Amenahu all steaming down and setting that edge? Do we have the right players to play the scheme or is the scheme just not good enough? It's a hard question for us to answer mainly because neither of us are football coaches who've played it growing up and we've picked up things. You can probably tell listeners we've learned how to talk the talk for 15 years of watching <laughs> the sport. Are we X's and O's geniuses? No, we are not. That said, it looks like we're running fairly basic design runs in that game against the Niners into a loaded box. We're running duo, we're running dive, we're running inside zone. We did not look to be stretching it out too much. We ran a couple of toss sweeps. It's kind of the timing of the running, I think, that hurts as well. So to specifically answer your question, I think it's all of the above. I'm going to have Mm. my cake and eat it too. Scheme. (laughs) A bit of personnel, the fact that Rayshon Slade is an excellent run blocker and we don't have him in the team. Uh, I suspect Lindsley's 
if you look at his grading, it's way down this year in the running game. I wouldn't be surprised if he's slowing down physically, if knee mm. tendonitis, so that he's still a really good pass-protecting centre, but in terms of a run-blocking centre, he's not as good as he used to be. That wouldn't surprise me. Good pickup, yeah. And and then the other part of it is your kind of play design and the types of runs you're doing. Are you mixing it up? Are you always running on first down? I mean, geez, it felt like in that second half, first down, first down and 10, straight right. up the middle, two right. yards. Yeah. First and 10. And Spiller had no luck this week. He had nowhere to go. And part of it's that timing as well. Like you're calling runs when you can see that they're in a, like a run defense with seven in the box, eight in the box. It's unlikely. It's almost like you're running just to run it and to have time of possession rather than thinking it's going to lead to gains. Mm. A lot to get, <laughs> a I lot mean, to fix, right? We're yeah. the worst in the league. We are the worst in the league at running the ball we are. or amongst the worst three or five. So nothing I, is working. I do also wonder before, because I've got another question for you and something we alluded to earlier. Um, just for my two cents in that, I do think that running the ball in a physical way requires an offensive line with size and also with strength. And if you look at who we've got currently, we've got a rookie at left tackle. We've got Matt Filer, who's kind of regressed a little bit. We've got Lindsley, who, as you say, perhaps is slowing down physically a little bit. You've got Zion Johnson, um, who, to be honest, didn't have probably had his worst day, actually, because he gave up three pressures and had four pass-blocking losses. I'm not saying that he's not strong, but it takes a while. There's a difference between, I think, size and then NFL strong. And then you've got... um, God, I've forgotten his name on the right tackle. What was his name? Who, who Foster played? Sorrell. Foster Sorrell out there, who's may as well be a rookie as well. I think maybe we're just not strong enough there yet. Great in pass protection, and maybe that's what the game plan has been, protect Herbert at all costs, but uh, we just don't have the strength, I don't think. Give us another couple of years. But my God, you know, if you think we've got Solia, Zion Johnson, and Slater to build around in the next three, in the next however foreseeable future, we're doing all right. I did want to say that with all the negative on the offensive line. Um. Yeah. You alluded to it earlier. I just listened to a podcast talking about the top two wide receivers in the game, uh, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. The you speed to that NFL podcast. What was that? <laughs> hey, you got to see what the competition are doing. Um, that being said, I couldn't think of a, a receiver room that is more different than our top two receivers in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And they say that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Those are the two. Those are the two receivers that, if you're starting a brand new NFL franchise, that's who you'd pick. Have we wrongly built our wide receiver room for the modern day NFL? Uh, look, we're missing a speed element. I don't know. You need to build it up with kind of four-two guys all over this place, right? There is something. I'm gonna dare I do it. I'm gonna bring another basketball analogy. You want to build your receiving room like a basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> you want you want receivers to have different strengths. And in our team, we have the jump ball guy. We've got Mike Williams, kind of your possession dude. We've got Keenan, who is beautifully skillful as a route runner, adept at finding space, sitting in zones. They're two things you really want to have in your team. I don't think that... I think they always... Route runners always have a place in the modern NFL. You can probably get away with not having a big guy, but I still think it helps to have a big guy because there are times you need to throw it up and hope. We're, we're missing the guy who makes everything open up or maybe two of those guys. Yeah. We could do with two guys who 
keep the defense accountable, mean they need to play two safeties back deep because if they don't honor it, Herbert with his 80-yard arm is going to hit you for a touchdown. It's going to be instant death. That's what was happening with Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. It's what's happening with Tua and Tyreek Hill and Waddle. We just don't have that. So it's really hard to run an effective offense, especially if then what you do have are sitting injured. It's so difficult. I'm watching... As the weeks go by, I'm looking at the All-22 and I'm just watching safeties creep closer and closer and closer and closer to the line. And I'm seeing cornerbacks jumping and knowing that they're not going to get beaten deep. I mean, the DeAndre Carter uh, throw and touchdown was, uh, I guess, an anomaly that we've seen in the last, you know, however long. Um, but yeah, I, I do wonder, um, even with Mike Williams and Keenan back full strength, what we look like, because uh, we're still missing Guyton, who... Uh, did his ACL. Um, can I give you one more question? And this is yes, sort of related. I've got to, one for you, mate. Okay, to, to team building. These were kind of all interconnected. Are the chickens now coming home to roost for Tommy Big Time? Uh, and his lack of being able to find gold in those t- in those rounds two to three to four, meaning you know we're we're actually not competitive with with what we put on the park. These practice squad players are just not good enough. Is that being too harsh given the situation, or is it fair? Yeah, yeah, I think it might be because uh, let's flip it. We're five and four despite all the injuries. Mm. So the depth that are playing are doing something right, and that's not to absolve Telesco of some of his sins. There's no doubt that if you look at the third, fourth, fifth round picks, not a lot of them are hits over the mm. years. So we could be doing better, but I'm not going to say we have the worst depth of any roster because the depth has been plumbed like no other team in the NFL could possibly expect. And somehow the team has a winning record. Now, that could be because there's still Herbert and, you know, Derwin James and Eckler, but the depth counts. So I'm critical of Telesco. I'm a bit more critical about kind of the lack of movement. I do think there was a good argument to do something to bring in another player whether it be an edge rusher or a wide receiver or another defensive tackle. As we'll get to in a second, even now, with our injuries to Abonia and Covington, we've just brought in kind of guys off the scrap heap. Guys, yeah. And Staley was saying today the reason for that is because you need guys who are in football shape and, you know, you can sign Linval, but then our ramp-up time is going to be two to three weeks, whereas we need someone who can play now. I mean, I get it, but I feel like Telesco is could do more and I don't want to let him off completely, so... And I feel... What do you think? Well, there's one thing that we haven't touched on, which is special teams. And special teams keep just every week either improving or small little parts of the game that just open up, like that blocked punt being one. They're just... I feel like these, these... the, uh, the special teams players are just getting better. We haven't given up a touchdown just yet. We're not giving up necessarily big runs in the return game. Everything just seems to be working nicely. So if we can start with the professionalism with our rookies of those fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks, we're starting with that professionalism and that standard of performance that Fiken, I believe, is clearly bringing, not just a rah-rah guys like run down the field and hit someone as hard as you can, but more tactical and actually going, hey, guys, look at the gaps when they punt at this certain distance, shoot that gap, it's going to be open. Or look at the tackle with Dan Leonard that happened and we got that we got that fumble at the critical part of the game. So let Fiken work for another 12 to 18 months with some of the talent, maybe or lack thereof, we're getting in. And I think, I think that's going to make a big difference to our team. Yeah, me too, mate. Um, kind of linked to that, one of those guys who's played on special teams a bit is JT Woods. Another one is Alohi Gilman. My question to you, 
Woods played snaps on defense for the first time this year. He played five of them. Gilman had his best game of the year and one of the best of his career. He actually was the highest graded Charger defender, according to PFF. He had five tackles and assist. What do you want to see now? So Gilman's had a good game, but we've worked in Woods in there. Do you, would you do something similar this week? Do you want to see more Woods? Do you want to see less Woods? What would you do against the Chiefs? Even bigger than that, I want to see Staley keep throwing exotic schemes in and I want to see different personnel on the field to keep the opposition coordinator and quarterback guessing. So I, I'd like to I'd like to keep throwing them around. Let's bring Nas Adderley up if he wants because he hits hard. Let's put some speed down in the back end and if Gilman's playing well, give the man some snaps. So just like you, I'm not going to say one or the other. I'm going to have my cake and eat I love it. I think we need, I, where's that? we need Andy here to keep us waffle bags in order. It's like I ask do. you a question and you just go, I'm going to answer it with this way. I want to yeah. see more Adley. Okay. okay, why don't we move on to our Yeah, Nah, Nah, Yeah award? Oh, I, I agree. I think that's a good one. Did you want to go first? Yes. I've got the Nah, Yeah award this, year, uh, this week, this year, which is the good one. The Nah Yeah Award for this game, and you alluded to it just before, Jack, goes to Nick Neiman and his blocked punt. The last time we had one, I think, was Drew Tranquil against the Colts in 2019, and it's a breath of fresh air to see us making plays on special teams for the second time in three or four weeks, right? Because of what Jasir Taylor and Leonard did a couple of weeks ago. So, well done, Nick Neiman. You're making an impact in some way, and it was important in this game. Nah nice. Yeah. Nah, yeah. Uh, I've got the yeah, nah. And for first-time listeners, that means it's something that kind of looks good, but well, actually, no, it's not. Uh, my one this week is hiding the offensive line's uh, injuries and real lack of talent. I think we did as well as we could, and we will. Um, I, I did think, I touched on it earlier, that the tight ends and the RBs were valiant in their attempts to sort of chip and, and sort of help them out a bit, but slowly it just wore away. That that tsunami of pressure just just sort of overwhelmed them. Um, I, I just hope that there's some, there's some rest and recuperation and readiness for Chris Jones and the Chiefs' defence because I have a feeling that Spags will cook up some spicy bolognese in terms of coverage and pressures um, to sort of cook Herbie a little bit. So um, that was my yeah, nah. Uh, are we ready for our uh, give me the damn numbers segment? So here we go. For God's sake, just give me the damn number. So if you are a first time listener or have not heard this segment before, what we have here is that Alistair and I have done some deep dives on some numbers or weird, strange numbers, uh, both around the league uh, and also for the South, almost at San Diego Chargers there, the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. So I'll go first. And uh, I did put a post about this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Um, my first number is 110 million. And that 110 million is the average salary that was not or left the field on Sunday night via Sport Track. Uh, that's a very quick average just based on that. So don't come up with any specifics. It's actually 105. Just give me a sec, but it's a, it's, a, it's a general number. But you're talking about over $100 million of players and salary that weren't on the field. So. Good luck. Give me the damn Got any number. specific listener in mind, Jack? <laughs> um, moving right along. Uh, my first number is a bit of fun. It's number three, which is how many times my father groaned with embarrassment on the weekend <laughs> as various jokes or stories were told. At one point, listeners, I was asked to read out multiple choice questions that my mates had created 
two of them containing a lie, one of them containing a truth about ridiculous stuff that I'd done. And the one reserved for my father was all three of them were true, all three of them were ridiculous. So I couldn't get it wrong, but I had to front up and look at my disappointed father's face, which is which is going to stick with me for the rest of my life. So three. I, I don't think we can share any of those on a podcast, even no. if we tick the explicit box either. Far out. Uh, my next one is 32, and that 32 equals 42.8, and we spoke about it before. But that is the Chargers' run grade defense per... Oh, sorry, the run grade, actually, per PFF this season. Not the defense, the actual how we run the ball. That is 32nd in the league. Give me the damn number on that one. Wowee. Mine is also linked to in- incompetent offensive output, and mine is two. The number of times the Chargers have scored 25 points this season in a game, and we Yep, that is a capital offense with Justin Herbert at quarterback, admittedly with sore ribs. I want to see four more of those games, 25 points between now and the end of the season. Give me the damn numbers. Oof. Well... I've got the next one is four. And that's the amount of times I pooped my pants whilst I was watching the Vikings-Bills game. My God, what a game. What a game. Arguably, the catch of the century, Justin Jefferson. Even better than OBJ's one-handed snatch. He's actually ripped it out of the safety's grasp. Man, give me the damn numbers on that one. That was exciting. I love it. Uh, I don't love this. One, where Tua Tungavailoa ranks in PFF's position rankings for quarterbacks through 10 weeks of the season. We were more positive than most when we broke down the Dolphins during the season. I especially too. I've said Mike McDaniel and Tua are going to have They're going to cook something up. That said, stick it up your ass if you think (laughs) Tua is the best quarterback in the league. Now, or even if he's had the best season, don't forget he had 10 turnover-worthy plays in about five games earlier this year. And some <laughs> Dolphins fan says to me, oh yeah, th- yeah, p- pay someone out with a stat about something that never happened. Yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. It's about your process <laughs> and not your outcome. Why is it on tour if he throws a terrible ball straight to a cornerback who drops it? It's still the same throw, moron. So yeah, uh, Tua is not the best quarterback in the NFL. He has not been the best quarterback of the season. He's playing very well. He's also thrown a guys who are about 70 yards open. Imagine what Herbert would do if Lombardi could create that openness. Um, yeah. One. Blow it out yeah, your yeah. ass. There Blow we go, essentially. Ass. Give me the damn number. Okay. Alistair, this one's for you. Whether okay. this is good that I'm thinking like this this early in the season or not, but I've gone 19. And that, I believe, is the position in the draft that the Chargers will have to take. Uh, which means I did a little bit of did a little bit of searching and figured out who we might pick in a very, very early top 50 board. And uh, at the 19th pick, the Chargers select Brian Branch, the safety out of Alabama, because Ooh, I believe that with Nas Adderley walking in free agency, the Chargers would look to put another playmaker aside, Derwin James, um, to build when our, you know, JC Jackson comes back, the best secondary in the NFL. I think he plays the star position in Nick Saban's um, defense, I believe. But he's got the movement and skills and footwork to play that sticky coverage um, against slot receivers. And he's got the versatility to play free safety as well. So I'm going 19. We're taking Brian Branch. You heard it here first. You're not the only person talking about taking a safety with Adderley leaving. And yes, I know we took JT Woods in the third round, but that's fine. We run a lot of dime package, let Woods develop. Nothing's wrong. And he's meant to be a good player. 
82.1 is my next number, which mm. is the percentage of snaps Michael Bandy took lined up out wide against the Niners. My God. So 32 of his 39 snaps, he was lined up as an outside wide receiver. What are we huh? doing? What are we we're doing? Using, we're using Carter in the slot. Um, and I think when Everett went out, they decided they wanted to line him up. He's doing nothing out there, Bandy. He's really looking bad. Well, you can see when he's running comeback routes, him and Herbert aren't on the same page. No. How about let him run in the slot and operate in the middle of the field? Just an idea, Joe. Giuseppe. <laughs> Some historical ones here. Six. Uh, and because of our blocked punt, I was like, oh, we'll put us some blocked punt stats in the in the NFL. Six, the number of punts blocked by Harry, or sorry, the number of punts that Harry Newsom had blocked in the 1988 Pittsburgh Steelers season. No one punter since then has had more than four blocked in a single season. Harry Newsom, you suck. Give me the damn numbers. Wait, that was right out of left field. I love it. <laughs> Um, just a simple one, 10, the number of wins I think we need to make the playoffs this year. We've got five, give me five more from the remaining eight games. 10. 10. Where are we? Okay, I've got to give my last one, Ali, here. And uh, this wouldn't be a TDU podcast without a bit of FTR. And the two numbers that I'm going to give you here is 20 to 25. And that's the score between the Colts and the Raiders. McDaniels got beaten by a guy who was on TV a week ago by the organization that he screwed over and was dishonest not that, not that long ago either. Coaching a team that will have a QB who not only crying for the first time in a press conference, but will want out at the end of the season. One of the best receivers in the league who wants out. Who you just signed at the end of this season and arguably a top 10 running back who doesn't want to play for you. You moved from a loyal fan base in Oakland, as much as it pains to say, pains me to say that. I do miss watching home games at Oakland there. They had a great crowd. And hired a good play caller who, McDaniels, you're a cheat, just like Bill Belichick, and a head coach while still paying for Gruden's contract. Family, trust, respect. FTR, baby. <clears throat> I'll go a last one just because it's very fitting at the moment and it's 1,000 which is the number of kisses and hugs and well wishes that we send to Andy and Cash, wishing them all the very best towards their marriage. And I know all of our listeners today will feel the same. Write a comment, wishing them congratulations. We love you, mate. And it's so good that um, you finally bent the knee. Well done. Absolutely outstanding. Well done, sir. And much love to Cash as well. All right, well, that goes, uh, there goes the segment, Gimme Dell's Damn Numbers. So let's really wrap this up in the next 14 minutes uh, with the Week 10 Chiefs preview. Al, uh, any news or injuries from the Chiefs or from us? Well, we, we touched on that a little bit earlier, or press yes. conferences. Yeah, you know it. Uh, so the, the main three ones from the game, Everett, Groin, he's considered data though. We hope that he does not miss a game. Obonia, out for the season. Patella tendon rupture. He's been placed in IR. Very serious injury. It's basically yeah. the same one JC Jackson has, so that's brutal. And I thought he had been rising to the occasion the last couple of games, so all the best to him. Hope he recovers swiftly. 
And Christian Covington, torn pectoral muscle, out for the season, also placed on IR. So the Chargers had to make a few moves. They bring up Joe Gaziano from the practice squad to the active roster, someone who's played before and we've seen him. They go out and sign a defensive tackle from the Browns practice squad, Tyler Davison, who is a seven-year vet who's had 90 career starts. He played for a few years with the Saints. He's played for a few years down at Atlanta, but he hasn't played this year. And it looks like he's on the back nine. He's at least someone who's played quite a bit and is in shape, as we were saying earlier. Mm. And then a lesser known one, the Chargers also signed a defensive tackle called David Moa. He's been signed to the practice squad. We got him from the New York Giants where he was waived early this season. They're the movements. Um, From a reporting perspective, there was a bit of chat this week about players who might return in time for the KC game, which we're about to break down. Keenan, Mike Williams, Chris Rumpf, Trey Pipkins, all potentially going to play. They all practiced in some capacity this week. Now we'll see, but all of them are hopeful that they can play and what a difference it would make. To be honest, if even one of Keenan or Mike could play in that game. Huge. Especially Mike, who's had a good record against the Chiefs on some of those jump balls against their smaller cornerbacks. Uh, And the last thing I'll say, Fred Warner came out and made some derogatory remarks about our offense today. He said the Niners basically ran the same defense every snap in the second half and they knew what we were going to do. He said, first and second down, we ran the same play. We just called the same play and then we blitzed on third down. Now, he's a liar because if you go watch the film, that's not what they did. But they did run cover for quite a lot on first and second down in the second half. It's what they do anyway. But yeah, it was interesting that Warner decided to go a bit of potty mouth on us and take us out in the media. And Staley responded today. He basically said, yeah, we knew what they were doing coverage wise. We just couldn't really execute. So nice try, Fred. And that's the news of the week. Thanks, Fred. Geez, it sounds like we're just getting any warm body that has some conditioning. Geez, maybe I might uh, might sign a little contract and get in there. Oof. Anyway, uh, we turn our eyes to uh, the Chiefs uh, this week. Um, and just a little bit of a game recap of what they did against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they were rolling. Uh, the, the, sort of a bit of a quiet start, but they started rolling when there was that sickening hit um, by Andre Sisko, that helmet-to-helmet by Juju Smith-Schuster. Man, that's you never want to see that. That's I don't my I don't care if it's a Raiders player or a Chiefs player. That's awful to see. Um, but rather than slow the Chiefs down, that uh, questionable hit infuriated them. Mahomes threw for three-three-one uh, with touchdown passes to four different receivers. Uh, and the Kansas City offense piled up nearly 500 yards, despite three turnovers. In a weirdly, you know, you'd think that it'd be um, a bit of a more of a smashing, um, but it was only 27-17 over them. Um, Tony, you know, started to look like the guy that they've Fuck signed me. from the Giants, and he uh, he had 33 yards rushing to go with four catches for 57. Kelsey, Valdez-Scantling, Noah Gray also had touchdown catches. Pacheco ran for 82 yards. Um, you know, Kansas City took the best record, not only in our division, but also in the AFC. Uh, Chiefs wide receiver Mikol Hardman was inactive. Um, so I'm not sure if he's going to be playing this week. Um, Chris Lamons, not that he's in relatively important, I'm not sure, was placed in concussion protocol. And Andrew Wiley left in the first half with a left elbow injury. Uh, Doug Peterson stated, and this is the broken record, every single time a team plays the bloody Chiefs is that we... We talked about the missed opportunities. Mm. When you play a great football team and the Chiefs are one of those teams, you've got to capitalize. 
And if there's one thing that we need to do this week is capitalize on those opportunities. Um, Al, some chief strengths. What do we need to watch out for? It's easier to list like things that aren't strengths, right? They're a Leviathan. They, uh, let's start with the fact that they have so many players who are considered amongst the best in the league at their position. So just looking at gradings based on PFF, Mahomes is ranked number two at his position. Kelsey's number one. Creed Humphrey is number one. Joe Tooney is number five. Chris Jones is number one, right. supplanting Aaron Donald. Uh, and then you've got someone like Lejarius Sneed who hovers around 10. So there's that plus the coaching continuity of Reed, Spags, Biennemi, Dave Tobe. They've been together for years. This crazy offense with all the weapons in the world now. You've got Tony, who's an athletic freak, just another weapon they can deploy. Pacheco, who runs with violence, man. Like this guy's a seventh round pick. And if you watch him, he's just... Thank you. It's like, here's another toy for Andy Reid to play with. He already schemes everyone open as the best quarterback in the league. Let's now just give him explosive playmakers all over the field. So, do you, mate, you can add some strengths because I could go all day. There are a few of them. How do you stop a guy who's almost playing at a higher level than he was in his MVP year? You know, not only is he, you know, has got all these weapons at his disposal, but he's using his legs again for the first time confidently that I have seen in a while. He doesn't seem like he's sort of hindered. I remember in that second Super Bowl that when they went to that circuit, he was a he was a little bit off with a toe or whatever it was. He's doing things that, you know, almost no one else can do. I don't know how you stop them. As you said, their line, you know, with Tooney, um, Creed Humphrey, Orlando Brown is still playing really well. You've got Sky Moore there mate, as well. The li- mate, game. their linebackers all of a sudden look really good. Oh, You've got Bolton and Nick Chanel Bolton? And, and Willie Gay is back. Even though their pass rush isn't really a strength, they had six sacks versus Jacksonville because they do enough. They don't have an elite edge rusher, but they can manufacture rush with Jones and the linebackers. And Carl Loftus is playing pretty well. Yeah, I mean, well, well, let's let's take that time to go to some of the the weaknesses because I because I won't throw a flag at that, but I'm going to actually say that Carl Afters actually isn't having a great season. He's actually graded okay. in the 40s for per PFF, and and Derek Nardi actually isn't having a great year either. So as you said, they're not great in the pass rush, and they're actually really poor in the run defense. That's probably the the biggest gaping hole that they have. So um, I think you stay away from running at Chris Jones and try to stay away from Nick Bolton, but target Carl us target Nardi um, as much as we can and let's see if we can get a run game going in some shape or form I don't know if we're going to be able to do it but I think that's kind of a, a chief's weakness that's also leading into keys to victory as well anything else from you Al yeah I don't think their secondary is actually that good um I think they can be attacked now do we have the cattle to do it it depends if Williams or Keenan plays right but on one of their cornerbacks, they've got young guys, Josh Williams and mm. Jalen Watson. McDuffie's playing outside corner now, also a rookie. Playing well, and though, McDuffie. He is playing well. He looked good, I thought. But their safety's a bit meh, Thornhill, Cook. Uh, and I think their offensive tackles can be exploited as well. I think Orlando Brown struggles a bit. And whoever suits up for right tackle, if it's yeah. not Wiley, it's um, Prince Tago Winogo. So yeah, they're, they're a couple, but there aren't many. They're a great team. It's going to be hard to contain Mahomes as well. The two high look, he's always oh, struggled. He's always struggled against the two high look though. But as I said, he's going to be dipping and dunking. And as you, Andy Reid's going to have all sorts of little plays where they're little chess passes in for a red zone touchdown. 
I also, this was a question that I actually had for you, but it sort of passed over it for others. Um, I would like to see more design runs for Justin Herbert. I would like to see him out. I mean, he had three on the week uh, against the 49ers. One ended up being a, uh, maybe not design runs, but a little bit more confidence outside the pocket to get those five, six, seven, eight yards um, on first or second down. So, I agree 100%. It was the most he's had in a game. His ribs are better. We've got to use his legs. We have to, because I think the pocket's going to not necessarily collapse, uh, but there's going to be interior pressure from Chris Jones, and that's the hardest pressure to, to throw against. They like to play man on the back end as well, and that's when you can take off with your legs. You mm. see the rush, you drop back. Hey, it's one linebacker in coverage. Everyone else is playing man. Take off, and it's yeah. Herbert one-on-one on a linebacker. Do it. Um, another thing I think we need to do in terms of our game plan is run the ball effectively early because, as you said, this is a, an actual chance to get the running game going. Don't let them just tee off on the passer. And with a defensive game plan, I think it really starts with our defensive front. We, we, we know how to contain um, Mahomes. We know he's good at scrambling and that edge rushers need to keep contained. But I want to see more of that kind of schematic ingenuity that we saw against the 49ers. Um, because, because they're depleted a wide receiver, they are going to try to establish the running game. If they mm. can get away with running Pacheco and Clyde Edwards-Alaire straight up our gut, they'll do that. We need to stop that early because I don't mind the matchup of our secondary on their wide receivers. Agreed. I think yeah, K9's got to have a big game. Drew Tranquil's going to have to be flying around. And you're right. If we can make Mahomes just at least think pre-snap, that's a win. If we go, what, if we just make him check and go, what's going on here? Listen, if he makes an amazing play, he makes an amazing play. But if we just line up within our normal looks that he goes, I've got this, this looks fairly normal to me. We're not going, hold on, why have I got six? Why are there there six linemen here? What's going on? I think that Staley has, because we don't have the cattle, we got to try different things. Last thing I'll say, you touched on it before, put Bandy in the slot. If we don't have Keenan Allen, if we... Uh, maybe Keenan can work out of the slot, but if he's not healthy, let's let's. I think he can get in and under against that secondary and just play the man in a role that he doesn't have to run a freaking marathon every week. God, poor guy. Anyway, prediction, scores, what say you? Chiefs 27, Chargers 21. I feel like it's going to be another one where we give it a good effort, but yeah. I just can't reasonably expect... I think the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. So good on us for really giving it a go against the Niners, but I don't think we're winning this game. I think a good result would be a narrow loss. Yeah, I've I've said 30 to 21 and for us as well. Uh, if we don't have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen playing, I don't know if we score over 14 points either. I'm a, bit, a little bit worried about that because we get into a track meet with them. Herbert gets a little bit frazzled. We try, dunk, we try getting it. It's, you know, throwing interceptions, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, that about does it. Alistair, this was really fun. That was great. I don't mind being the host. I sort of enjoy it a bit. We just go as a two-man show moving forward. Oh, well, Andy's, Andy's a taken man now, so he's going to be... Uh, he's he's going to have his hands full the last... No. Uh, the next... <laughs> we miss our brother. We can't wait to have him back. I know he was chomping at the bit. Listeners, he wanted to somehow try to record this podcast, and we said, no, mate, you've got to just enjoy the moment of being engaged, and we'll see him back next week. Indeed, indeed. Uh, thank you so much to Alistair, and again, congratulations to Andy. Thank you all for your uh, viewership, your listenership. Uh, please hit that like so and subscribe or just reach out to us. We love chatting. Um, you know, we're really active on Twitter. We're really active on YouTube. We can't thank you enough. It's been a 
big couple of weeks in our friendship group and for this podcast. And we've loved having you along for the ride as well. So without much further ado, Alistair, I'll see you later. Um, let's go Chargers. Bolt up. Go Chargers. Good night to all!